With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other half of the podcast, Kevin. What a game two in the NBA Finals between the Bucks and the Suns, man. Game two, bro. Game freaking two was... Uh, well, first of all, both games were good. However, this was a very, very close game all the way down to the wire, at least up until middle of the fourth quarter where, you know, Phoenix started to not pull away, but they started to pad that lead a little bit more. Um, but... Overall, um, it has been a very good finals. Phoenix now leads that series two to nothing. They are going back to Milwaukee for Sunday at eight o'clock Eastern time. So, I mean, this is going to be what we're talking about today, guys. We were, you know, last time we we, we got into a, a deep dive and a breakdown of the game, and we definitely got into a little bit more in depth of some other things afterwards. But again, it is a little late. Unfortunately, the finals ending at this time does hinder our ability to. Uh, you know, give you guys premium content to where everybody's enjoying it like we would if we would, you know, be able to live stream earlier. But we wanted to, you know, get this fresh before all the, you know, the other platforms were able to get there. We do know that ESPN is currently doing their reviews and whatnot. But, you know, we wanted to give our kind of feedback on the game. So, I mean, Kyle, I guess what I'm going to say to you is what did you see in a change from Milwaukee's standpoint in terms of preparation and execution? And what do you think they're going to need to do to turn this series around to try to make this 2-1? Well, the way that I see it is Milwaukee definitely made some solid adjustments defensively. The, the one thing that I saw in game one is whenever they would switch defensively when they were guarding Chris Paul and Devin Booker is Phoenix got the switches that they wanted because they got Brooke Lopez one-on-one on either Devin Booker or Chris Paul. In game two, Milwaukee definitely improved their switching. Because it usually when they when they switched, they mostly either had PJ Tucker or maybe Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday on Devin Booker and Chris Paul for the most part. So they definitely improved their defensive switches on that aspect. Now, the difference in this game compared to Game One was Phoenix by and large was just outstanding behind the three point line because Milwaukee started off this game very hot. And they just attacked the paint the entire first quarter. That's something that you and I talked about was one of the adjustments that they had to make from game one was the fact that they had to be more aggressive and they had to attack the paint with Giannis and Brooke Lopez. And that's exactly what they did in the first quarter. But Phoenix responded really well by knocking down, I believe in the first quarter, they knocked down over six to seven three-pointers. 
you know, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, and Chris Paul, they were all knocking down shots early. And those players in particular, they kind of made up for Devin Booker to a certain extent because Devin did start off the game very cold. However, as the game wore on, Devin started knocking down some shots. He got into a groove. Chris Paul, as usual, was knocking down those mid-range jumpers. He loves the takes. Um, by and large, Phoenix won this game just because of their barrage behind the three-point line. And they got key contributions from DeAndre Ayton. He didn't have the game that he had in game one. But even so, he had a phenomenal game as far as just getting some second chance points, getting the rebounds that he typically gets and getting easy buckets at the rim. Now, as far as Milwaukee goes, I thought Milwaukee was a lot more competitive in this game. It's just Giannis was the only one who was really scoring for Milwaukee. And Giannis definitely made it a focal point to be more aggressive. He went to the free throw line numerous amounts of times throughout the entirety of the game. But he didn't get a lot of help from the rest of his teammates. Drew Holiday had a bad night. He was very inconsistent. I thought his shot selection was a little bit off. He, Drew just had a tough night. Chris Middleton, he was okay. He definitely knocked down some three-point shots that closed the gap for Phoenix leads a few times. But by and large, I just didn't think that the role players outside of Pat Connaughton did much. And if you're looking at Milwaukee here, Giannis is your main player scoring the majority of your points. But you have to get contributions from at least two of the three top guys. They didn't get it from Drew. And Chris was, I would say, okay. But they need Chris to be better than okay if they want to have a chance to get back into this series. All in all, Phoenix, just from the way that I look at it, they're just a more well-rounded team. They have great leadership in Chris Paul. Devin Booker is just a superstar blooming in front of our eyes. DeAndre is a solid big man for them. And their role players have been nothing short of phenomenal. Mikhail Bridges scored over 20 points. You know, he was knocking down three-point shots. He was knocking mid-range jumpers. He was making layups. He was sensational as far as their role players go. And that's going to be a tough matchup for Milwaukee to contend with as this series does transition back to Milwaukee for game three. Oh, 130%. It's, it's crazy when you really look at this. And again, I, I have to give a shout out to Giannis. The man dropped 42 points today with 12 boards, four of them being offensive. You look at the injury that he sustained uh, last week and you think, damn, he's probably out for the postseason. He's playing as if he's never been hurt. And he's, paying, he's playing at a very intense clip. He scored 62 points in his first two NBA Finals games. And he actually broke an NBA – well, not broke, but he's got the most points scored in a quarter in the NBA Finals since Michael Jordan did it in 1993. Giannis scored 20 points in the third quarter today. Michael scored 22 points in a quarter against the Phoenix Suns, ironically, in 1993. Uh, which is crazy to me to think that one player basically scored – an absolute, basically a team's total quarters worth of points. And, you know, as a unit, Kyle said it already, the supporting cast was lackluster to say the, to say the least, just inconsistent. Chris Middleton's got to get it going. The man had, he was five of 16. Drew Holiday was seven of 21. Brooke Lopez was four of 10. 
and, and 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 Coddington was really that only that only person that really came off the bench and, and did something. He was he had fourteen points. He was five of ten from the field. But where the hell is Bobby Portis? Where's the Bobby Portis of games five and six against Atlanta? He had two points. Jeff Teague playing twelve minutes, four points. You know Forbes three points. You know Brook Lopez eight points. PJ Tucker again is not an offensive person, so I do n- I would never expect PJ Tucker to have more than ten points in a game. If he does, that's absolute luxury for them. But he only had seven points as well. And you look on the opposite side of the spectrum, and I mean all the way down the line, excluding the bench, of course, Jay Crowder had 11 for the Suns. Mikel Bridges had a career-high 27 points in the postseason. Uh, DeAndre Ayton had a very off night, going 4 of 10 from the field, but he was able to put up 10 and 11. Chris Paul had 23 points. Devin Booker had 31 points. So everybody was able to contribute and bring something to the table in order for the Suns to take this 2-0 lead. But the one thing I have to circle here, even though they won, the Suns just got abused on the on the on the on the on the defensive rebounds. They just like Milwaukee was just able to grab so many boards in the third and fourth quarter, which is why Milwaukee was able to kind of stay in this game as long as they did. And a lot of that was due to Giannis's hustle and it was just kind of crazy when you think about it. Like the stat sheet itself says that, you know, Phoenix had 43 boards and, you know, the Bucks had 46. But the stats don't reflect it. Phoenix's lack of boxing out and inability to grab key rebounds in the game was able to keep Milwaukee at arm's distance or arm's length, so to speak. And the Suns shooting at the clip that they were in terms of efficiency from beyond the arc is what kept the lead intact if we're being completely honest. And as I've said throughout the entire postseason, you can only do so much when your team is hitting those shots, but what happens if they don't? I think Phoenix needs to understand that they cannot continue to live and die by this three-point possession or these three-point shots because they're not the Golden State Warriors. They're not the most efficient three-point shooting team in the league. Granted, they shoot at a very high percentage, but when your only consistent three-point shooters are Devin Booker, and what, Mikel Bridges? I mean, honestly, I can't even say that they're that consistent. Like, Jay Crowder takes a lot of threes, but he's not the most consistent. You know what I'm saying? Like, Devin is the volume shooter of this team. Chris will take the ball to the basket. Chris will shoot at an efficient clip in terms of mid-range jump shots. But the fact that the the, the Phoenix Suns were able to shoot 20 of 40 from the three-point line is absolutely insane. Unfortunately, Phoenix did go down and they did lose Torrey Craig. Um, he went to the locker room early. Um, I don't know for what yet. It looked like him and Giannis maybe knocked knees. It does look like maybe his knee buckled a little bit more. So we're, we could be facing or could be looking at another major injury. So uh, who's to say someone else doesn't step up in terms of you know absorbing those, those minutes? Monty Williams did not seem too affected. He has confidence in his players. But that is something to monitor. Um, Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy did say that that is going to cause a lot of players to have to maybe play 10 times more. And that is kind of crazy considering that Devin Booker played 44 minutes out of 48. Chris Paul played 41. Ayton played 42. Bridges played 38. And Crowder played 37. So I don't know how much more players are going to be able to play. But the Phoenix Suns did what they needed to do and they capitalized in this game. They were able to remain. uh, They were able to hold home court. And it's just a matter of what adjustments Milwaukee's going to have to make, man. And if I'm being honest with you, a lot of things got to change in terms of Milwaukee. Uh, they, they did change. I will give them credit, like Kyle said at the beginning. They were more aggressive. They did attack the basket. Giannis played incredible. But 
if the players that I named, like Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, if they don't start to step up and they don't start to get consistency from their second superstar in Chris Middleton, we could potentially be looking at a sweep because Phoenix is only gaining more and more confidence with each win. And if Devin gets in a rhythm like he did today and Chris continues to play at the pace he's playing, I don't see anybody that's going to be able to stop this team. Honestly, Phoenix is playing at a very efficient pace and it's showing. I'm not going to go that far to say that Phoenix is going to sweep Milwaukee. I said because, could. I said could. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go that far yet simply because the one thing that I expect from Milwaukee going into game three is I'm going to expect the defensive intensity to improve mightily when they go back to Milwaukee. And I will say this. Milwaukee was down 0-2 down against Brooklyn in the – Eastern Conference uh, semifinals. And the one thing that I remember specifically from that series was that game three in particular. That game three where it was 86 to 83. It was a game where neither team could score, but Giannis and Chris Middleton were by and large the biggest focal points to that win for Milwaukee. And then they kind of carried that momentum through the two-game stretch in Games 3 and Game 4 in Milwaukee. They were able to tie up the series, went back to Brooklyn, lost Game 5, but then they won the last two. And they were going up against one of the biggest offensive juggernauts that, as far as a team uh, build-wise in, Bro- in Brooklyn was. You know, They were able to come back against Brooklyn and win that series. Now, the difference between Brooklyn and Phoenix in this scenario is that Phoenix, I think, is a better all a, a better well-rounded team. Because the one thing that Brooklyn lacked was a bench. That's not the case here with Phoenix. Phoenix has a very good bench. And I would think to a certain extent that Phoenix has better role players than Brooklyn did. So that does create some challenges for Milwaukee. And the one thing that I have to address here is Milwaukee's three-point shooting. It's atrocious. You know, like you said, Phoenix was shooting the lights out behind the three-point line. And Milwaukee didn't. Milwaukee, I think, didn't even hit 10 threes. I think there were 9 of 31. That's less than 30%. That's not going to get it done. And it kind of goes to the point that I mentioned about Giannis carrying too much weight offensively. You know, he went out there and scored 42 points. But outside of that, you know... You're not getting consistent enough scoring from, first of all, A, your number two in Chris Middleton. And Drew Holiday had a very poor shooting night. And I, I know Pat Connaughton did step up as far as their role players go. He was able to knock down a couple three-pointers. But, I mean, the majority of the scoring is coming from really only four players. With Phoenix, Phoenix has like five or six good scorers because... You know, you could expect Devin and Chris Paul to have good nights. But some performances, they'll get a huge night from DeAndre Ayton. Tonight in particular, they got a huge performance from Mikhail Bridges. Jay Crowder can knock down shots. Cameron Payne can knock down shots. Like, all of these guys on Phoenix, even though that they're role players, they have enormous impact for Phoenix's ability to win basketball games. Milwaukee is really only limited to probably three or four players. And 
by and large, Giannis is the primary guy, of course. But the performances that Chris Middleton can have as far as having an outstanding night, they're just too few far in between. And, and Drew is kind of the same thing. Drew is amazing defensively. He actually had a good night defensively in game two. But offensively, man, he just struggles. It's just tough to watch him take the shot selections that he's been making these last couple games. And if Milwaukee's going to have a shot, you know, to come back into the series, not only do they have to ramp up the defensive pressure, because once again, they gave up way too many points tonight. They, they almost gave up 120 points. They're going to have to keep Phoenix under 100. And Milwaukee's going to have to score. And it's just the offensive weapons that Milwaukee has, they're very limited in that sense. And I just don't see a scenario, you know, for the rest of the series where they're going to be able to shoot out shoot Phoenix behind the three-point line. They may be able to do it down low. But behind the three-point line, it is going to be quite a challenge for Milwaukee moving forward. Well, I think they, they, they started on a good note in terms of finding ways to get Chris off the ball. I think that their ability to double and triple team him, even at half court in some instances, was able to get the ball out of his possession, get the ball out of his hand and into somebody else's. It's just unfortunate to them for them, for Milwaukee, that uh, Devin was able to hit the shots that he did. If I'm being completely honest, I really, really do think that they played a lot better in terms of uh, making life a little bit more difficult for Chris mm-hmm. because obviously Chris had six turnovers tonight. Um, that is very unlike Chris Paul in that, uh, that instance. But overall, rotating the bodies that they did, fighting through the screens, not switching uh, as often as they did, I thought that that was a, a good adjustment on Budenhoser's side. But they have to find ways to better rotate, uh, take better efficient shots. And, and overall, their, their morale seemed a little low. You know, you, you had to see Giannis kind of at, uh, in between the third and fourth quarter or during a timeout kind of get in his team's ass to really kind of motivate them and get them uh, uh, excited and enticed. And you really look at this team of all the things that they overcame, like you said, you know, coming over a 2-0 deficit against uh, Brooklyn, you know, going through the gauntlet that was Atlanta, and, you know, overcoming that as well. And the, their, their bench and role players showing that they, they have the ability to step up. So it is a little frustrating uh, to see that they're not performing the way that they have been all postseason. So this is the pinnacle here. This is the mountaintop. This is what you fight for all season. This is what you fight for in your entire career. You know, when you go through the AAU games in high school and you go to the collegiate level and you get drafted, like players play for this moment. And I feel like the Bucks are kind of selling. And other than Pat Coddington tonight, it really did show because there was just no second fiddle to Giannis's Batman. There was no additional assistance when Giannis came out of the game. And that's just not going to fly. We don't have that type of play anymore in the NBA where one person can take over and that be enough. You know, none of these players are LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Giannis is very limited. Again, he did score 42 points, but when all the tricks in his basket revolve around the rim or him attacking the basket or living at the free throw line, they're going to need some help outside on the perimeter, like you said. So their inefficiency to not only shoot from the field, but from behind the arc, that's going to need to change. And, you know, overall, I, I think Milwaukee is going to really have to figure something out in terms of trying to guard Devin Booker because it, it just seems impossible. So 
a lot on the drawing board to go back for on the Milwaukee aspect of it. But when you look at Phoenix, obviously you can't sit there and they say and say they played a perfect game. I think they're going to have to put a bigger emphasis on boxing out and like really solidifying the paint like they did in game one. Um, DeAndre Hayton's got to get a little bit more involved. I did see a lot of instances where Brooke did come out of the game and Milwaukee went small. P.J. Tucker played the five and DeAndre Hayton was on the court. And Phoenix continued to take crazy shots. Granted, they were making them. But like I said, with the Mavericks and the Clippers series, and like I said, in the Utah series, they cannot rely on just shooting the basketball. That is not an efficient basketball play. That's not going to always work. If DeAndre Ayton is seven feet tall and P.J. Tucker's six seven, six eight, that is an automatic mismatch that doesn't need to pick a roll. Feed your big man, get him to the free throw line, get him in a rhythm, get their, one of their better defenders in P.J. Tucker in foul trouble. You know, put yourself in a better position to win the basketball game where you don't have to shoot the volume of shots that you did. I think that Milwaukee, without the depth that they have at the five, is going to hurt them because we all know Bobby Portis isn't big either. So if they're going to go small and Aiton is on that floor or Kaminsky is on that floor, you really need to find a way to dominate and put that ball in the hole and stop relying so much on that extended range from Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And, you know, Chris Paul, being the point guard that he is, the veteran that he is, I expect him to have a relatively clean game going into game three. I don't expect him to turn the ball over more than once or twice. But if I'm going to go into the prediction side, Kyle, I'm just going to ask you uh, straight up, does Milwaukee have a chance to turn this around? And if so, who do you think is going to win the next game? Well, in game three, I'm definitely giving Milwaukee a shot. They're going to be at home. I know for sure that the home crowd of Milwaukee is going to be riled up, even with them over in Phoenix. I saw a lot of fans in that Deer District, and I believe that there was you know, some fans within – uh, the Fisser Forum, um, the last two games when the Bucks were on the road. So they're definitely going to be loud. They're definitely going to get into Phoenix's head, Phoenix's head into a certain extent. Now, as far as the game goes, I'm going to expect Giannis to do essentially what he did in game two and continue into game three. I mean, he had 42 points tonight, and he was extremely efficient. Um, the only thing that I would wish Giannis would do a little bit better, and this might just be something that it is what it is. It's just knocking down maybe a higher percentage of his free throws. He did get to the free throw. He did. He got to the free throw line quite significantly tonight. So, you know, if he could be able to knock down possibly 60 to 75% of his free throws, I think that would definitely help just because he's going to the free throw line so consistently in the last two games. And they have got to get their role players to step up. They have got to get some better performances from Bobby Portis. Pat Connaughton needs to continue his shooting performance that he had in game two, carry it into game three. And Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday have got to step it up. You know, those guys are the number two and three players on this team. And don't get me wrong, Drew is great defensively. But offensively, he's got to make better shot selections. And, and Chris, Chris has got to go off. 11 points tonight in game two. That is not going to get it done. So Chris is going to have to go out there and get 25 damn near 30 points. And I know Chris is capable of that. It's just those performances that he can put out there are just too far few in between for my liking. So, and I think as far as Phoenix goes, just continue what works. Space the floor. Get your role players in good three-point shot selections. And I think... As long as Chris Paul and Devin Booker are knocking down shots, as long as they don't have an off-night shooting, I think the Suns can 
realistically win game three, but I'm actually going to go with Milwaukee here. I think Milwaukee is going to win a very close competitive game. I do think that Phoenix is going to get over 100 just because they have too many shooters um, to contend with. But I do think that Milwaukee is going to get a great performance from Giannis. I think he's going to probably get somewhere around 35, possibly 40 points. I think Chris Middleton's going to drop 25, potentially 30. And I think Drew's going to chip in for a solid 20. And then if they can get Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis, maybe even Jeff Teague to chip in 10, 15 points here or there, I think Milwaukee can carry this Game 3 performance and kind of get back into the series. Because if they go into Game 3, they win Game 3, going into Game 4 to potentially tie up the series, that would be huge. But they have to win Game 3, so I think Milwaukee wins a close one. I could say like maybe like 115 or like 108. So I'm actually going to disagree with you. And Kyle and I actually said on the last live stream, our predictions have kind of been like shit recently. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we pick a lot of games and the opposite ends up happening. And I mean like the epitome of opposite. Uh, granted, you know, uh, we're not always going to be right. We understand that. But I'm going to go with Phoenix in this one. I think that, you know, Devin Booker is going to have another huge game. I think DeAndre Ayton is going to go back to form. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, with the injury to Torrey Craig, you know, hopefully he ends up being okay. But, you know, if he is out, I think that Cam Johnson is going to have to take some more minutes. Hopefully he can step up and do what he's got to do. Maybe put up like 15, 20 points, have a really, uh, really big night off the bench. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think Phoenix takes a commanding 3-0 lead. Um, I, I really do think that Milwaukee's putting way too much pressure on Giannis. Again, you know he's not 100%. Every time the man hits the floor or grabs at that knee, you know everybody in Milwaukee, not only on the bench, but in the actual arena that they were watching, uh, you know that they took a deep breath and kind of like held it for a second and said, oh my God, please get up. Like without this man, this is easily a sweep, definitely blowout central without a doubt. And if... Giannis has got to play 40-plus minutes and score 40-plus a game for them to still lose. I think that that's just not a good place to put it in. Like I said, uh, I think that, that that Phoenix ends up winning a, a closer one, maybe like 7 to 10 points. But I think, again, behind Devin's 30-plus points, I think Chris has a double-double. And, again, I think Aiton has like one of those – maybe one of, the, one of those 2020 games. I just can't see him being abused down low again back-to-back nights. And at that point, if Phoenix does, in fact, take game three, I would confidently say Phoenix will win this series, whether in four or five. But Phoenix is going to take a commanding 3-0 lead come Sunday night, in my opinion. No, I I fully understand where you're coming from um, with that prediction. It's just, I think Giannis is going to be the enforcer throughout the entirety of game three. I think we saw that in the third quarter in particular. You know, he went out there in the third quarter and scored the most points in any quarter in the NBA Finals history. Went out there and scored Since Michael. Points. Since Michael. Okay, since Michael. I'll take that back. I'll retract that a little bit. But still, 20 points in one quarter, that's sensational. In the Finals, yeah. So, you know, I think the last person to do that was either LeBron or Kobe to kind of yeah, have Kobe, a similar type of number. I, I think Kobe was 2011 or 2010 – or excuse me, 2010, 2009, and then LeBron was 2014 with 19. Now, here, here's the thing, and I think we have to talk about this a little bit more. Can we talk about how crazy it is that Giannis has played this well in the first two game coming in the first two games after that 
potentially devastating knee injury that he suffered in game that he actually avoided in game four of the Brooklyn series and has absolutely dominated these first two games. And you mean just, the Atlanta I, I, series? Excuse me, the Atlanta series. I, I think about not the Brooklyn series, but yeah, like we need to talk about Giannis here for a second, just because I can't believe that this guy is playing this well, despite this, the first two games coming back from that knee injury that he sustained in that Atlanta series. I just, I can't believe it. it like, you want to take a quick stab at this just to kind of like dive into just how crazy the performances that we've seen from Giannis so far in the series is? I mean, I, that's why I start every segment since we started this NBA Finals coverage with how much I'm surprised, how well this man is performing. I mean, this just goes to show these people are built different. The level of intensity and physical dominance it takes to play a sport at this level, at the consistency that they play at, is absolutely incredible. And I mean, like, that just also shows the mental fortitude that Giannis Antetokounmpo plays with because there are some players that may have sat back and said, you know what, I'm in too much pain. I can't do this. And that's just not the type of person that he is. He's not going to let his team fall. He's not going to let them, you know, crumble or fold under pressure. And if he's willing to put it all out there for his team, I think that's why I'm so hard on Milwaukee's supporting cast because it's like he's basically playing on one leg. You can see him grab his knee. You can see him take... A little bit of extra time in between some plays. Um, obviously, he already takes long enough time at the free throw line that the NBA needs to review because we're talking 12, 13 seconds at a clip per free throw. Uh, it's a little much. But yes, no, Giannis deserves a lot of credit. He deserves a, a lot of praise, especially from the Milwaukee community. He's giving everything he has to this franchise that it's showing. And, you know, there are a lot of athletes out there, no matter the sport, that are that play through injuries. We know Kobe played... Um, through multiple dislocated fingers. Um, I believe there was one There was one game where Kobe had to play basically with his left hand. Uh, we know that certain players play with slip discs, you know, torn ligaments like Joel Embiid did this postseason with a meniscus tear, and so on and so forth. But when when you're putting out 40 points in an NBA Finals game after an injury like that, you have to just literally give it up to the man because he, he is just playing basketball at such an incredible pace. And I think that that needs to be respected and that needs to be praised because we're watching history. Like he basically could have been out the entire series, if not maybe into next season. Instead, he's dominating in the NBA finals, 63, 62 points in two games in the NBA finals. Absolutely crazy. It's wild because it just the only thing that I could really say that he's kind of really struggling through these first two games is just his overall endurance. Like you could see, like when there's a break in the action after a foul takes place or a timeout, you know, he has his hands on his knees. He's just trying to get as much air as possible. It's just because he's fatigued. He's putting everything on the line to try to get this series for Milwaukee. And it just it kind of sucks that this effort is I won't say being wasted. It's just he's putting so much pressure and so much weight on his back. And the fact that his teammates are just not stepping up to the level that they need to be at, it just, what else more do you want from the guy? You know, he's putting his body on his line every single night, just like everybody else is. But the fact that he was able to come back from that knee injury so quickly and to be able to to be able to establish dominance down low against solid players like DeAndre Ayton, 
that's just amazing to me. So I got to give Giannis a lot of credit. He, he, he's one of the grittiest players that this league has to offer. Granted, you know, he does kind of struggle from the free throw line. His game is a little bit limited to the fact that he's not like a knockdown jump shooter. But man, when he gets down into that paint is a nightmare scenario for defenders going up against him. And the fact that he's still able to be this effective while somewhat being hindered by that knee and his endurance to a certain extent is he labors every now and then. It's just phenomenal to watch. And I hope that he's able to continue this level of play going into games three and four. And I fully expect him to. It's just, you know, I know a lot of people may give Giannis a little bit of criticism here and there just because, you know, the last couple years, Milwaukee has fell short. You know, Milwaukee has been one of the best teams that the NBA has had the last two seasons before this year. And their best playoff performance was to only get to the Easter Conference Finals, and they ended up losing to Toronto, and they got bounced out of the second round in the bubble last year. And even with that criticism, and some of it may be warranted to a certain extent, Giannis has really gotten this team together and has propelled this team to the position that they're in right now. And the fact that Milwaukee's in the finals, I would say the majority of the credit definitely goes to Giannis for being able to do what he does on a nightly bait on a nightly basis. Not only is he one of the best defensive players that the league has to offer, he's one of the best offensive threats as well, as far as down low goes. And, you know, I do have to give a lot of respect and admiration to Giannis in that sense, just because it's absolutely wild that he's playing this well after what we kind of thought could have been, a potentially devastating knee injury. And the fact that he's going out there and playing this well is remarkable. I just, I got to give it up to the guy. I mean, it adds to the pedigree that Giannis has created, you know, the reputation that he has created for himself coming from where he came from in Greece, getting drafted to Milwaukee. Um, We all know the story of, you know, him having to run to the arena because he didn't have enough money for a cab. Um, You know, the kid gives everything he has with everything that he does. Then obviously getting better pretty much as every year progressed. Two-time MVP, uh, defensive player of the year, first team all NBAs, first team all defensive NBAs. I mean, you name it, the man has the accolades. He's got the mentality to go out there and win. And you can see he has the leadership capabilities, getting his teammates involved in between timeouts, like I had said earlier. So Giannis is that guy. It's just unfortunate that the cast around him just cannot get it together at a consistent pace because you really want Giannis to win. You you, you want to cheer for the guy. He's not a guy you hate. He's not arrogant. He's not cocky. Um, There are moments, obviously, where he does joke around a little bit too much, maybe in the press conferences or, you know, maybe even a couple of years back when they played against, I don't know if it was the Lakers or LeBron in Cleveland his last year where he kind of did the crown thing. And, you know, obviously this is Giannis's first uh, finals appearance, and they have been subpar in the postseason prior to this season, but he's doing what he's got to do. He's given it all. He's shown his loyalty to the city of Milwaukee just to re-sign the, the Supermax extension that he did. A lot of people thought that he was leaving with the frustration of the roster build and, you know, the lack of the, the communication with the GM in Milwaukee, but... 
he's here, he's doing it, and you know you can't really be surprised other than the physical portion of it because of the injury. But when you look at Giannis, the individual, Giannis, the character, um, it's not a surprise to me. And I, I could not be happier that he's doing what he's doing now because he's playing at a high pace, he's willing his team to win, and he's giving us entertaining basketball. Granted, he doesn't have a consistent jump shot yet, better than Ben Simmons, but the man is showing that he's willing to try. He's still taking those threes in those games. He's still taking mid-range jump shot. He's adding instead of a post hook or a post drive, the guy is now doing post fadeaways. And he, you know, he's he's taking putting his back to the basket and then adding to his post-game repertoire. And he is starting to hit those shots. And the more consistent he gets and the more confidence he builds, his game's only gonna go to, you know, his game is only going to improve. So as a whole, love watching the man play. Uh, James Harden's comments a few years ago or a couple of months ago, whenever that was, about, you know, it's not that hard to run and drive at the basket and dunk it. To an extent, I agree, but at the same time, you know, it takes a special kind of guy to sit and dribble for 22 seconds out of the 24 and throw up at three and hope it goes in. Uh, So, cool, you can dribble a little bit more. Cool, you can shoot the basketball a little bit better, but you're not exactly a consistent performer in the postseason either. So, you know, I only bring that up because people continue to say, you know, Giannis isn't an entertaining person to watch. Or Giannis still can't shoot the basketball. Okay. He's in the NBA Finals. Like, he's doing something right because people can't stop him. So, definitely give him all the credit in the world. I hope he wins one eventually. I just don't think this is going to be that year, which is kind of sad because when Brooklyn reloads, LA reloads, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be... For a couple more years, and obviously when Golden State reloads, holy shit, um, it's going to be a tougher road. And I think this may have been his opportunity to win it while he was younger. So I don't think that Phoenix is going to choke up this 2-0 lead. And, you know, even if this game's go, even if this series goes seven, I really don't see Phoenix losing. Yeah, and just to kind of piggyback off the point that you made about James, I mean, James can talk. You know, if he wants to be critical about Giannis's game in that sense, I mean, Giannis can snap back at James saying, you don't play defense. Like, I've won defensive player year awards. Where are you? Where have you been? I mean, don't get me wrong. James is a great offensive player. I don't want to get that lost in translation. But Giannis is a better all-round player. Just because James, for years, played no defense whatsoever. I mean, there are whole... YouTube videos, like low light videos of James not playing defense whatsoever. I mean, you had the freaking, the the TNT crew just like going off on the guy, especially when he's playing in the early days in Houston, where he's like, he's missing assignments. He's just standing in, in like no, in no man's land, just like letting guys just go to the basket without any sort of resistance whatsoever. I will say that James has made a slight improvement to his defensive effort. It's just, you know, if if James wants to be critical critical about Giannis's game, you know, Giannis can say it's like, bro, it took you ten years to finally play a lick of defense. So, you know, the way that I see it, you know, Giannis has made tremendous strides to not only be a solid player down low, but I've seen him try to evolve his game from a mid range basis. He actually had a nice, he had a nice couple of shots in game two where he's taking those, those fadeaway jumpers off of one leg, you know, he's not super consistent with them, 
But I appreciate the fact that he is confident enough to at least try those shots. And he's knocking down some of them. So I give him credit for trying to be able to expand his game rather than just being a guy who's just beholden to holding it down down low. It's it's cool to see someone evolve. And I know I brought up Ben Simmons, and I actually sent Kyle something earlier today, believe it or not, about you know players that are practicing expanding, expanding their range this offseason. And Steven Adams is one of them. And, you know, Lonzo Ball is another one that's consistently changing his jump shot. And I actually found it hysterical. Someone quote tweeted a video of Lonzo working out. And it was like, you're telling me Lonzo Ball shot the ball sideways from the front of his face and has now elevated his game to being a consistent threat from beyond the arc. And Ben Simmons can't sit here and take one three in a basketball game. I just found that to be hysterical. And obviously Steven Adams is just a big bodied individual that is not known for anything but being a physical presence in the post and his, uh, his assertiveness on the defensive end, even he's working on his jump shot this off season. And, you know, you, you, you feel for Ben to a certain extent, but at the same time, it's like Giannis is out here doing it in the NBA finals. And he knows that he is not a consistent three point shooter or a consistent jump shooter, but it's the confidence to keep shooting which is why I respect him so much more because it does take a special kind of player to say, you know what? I'm not the best jump shooter, but I'm open. I got to, I got, I got I to shoot this. Mm-hmm. And that's where Ben needs to evolve at the next level. And we will see what happens next season. But aside from that, this NBA finals has been good. I do hope Milwaukee turns it around for the sake of the series. I would hate for this to end in four, but I am going to stand with my prediction and say that Phoenix uh, scrapes up and steals one in Milwaukee. I do want to ask you one more question, though. I know we we kind of gave Giannis his roses just to just talk about him for a little bit, despite the fact that they lost. He dropped 42 points in this game. I do want to ask, though, about the Suns here. Who do you think so far for the Suns has been the most impactful player for them? I mean, yeah, in the first two games... You have to say it's Chris. I mean, the poise that he brings into these games, the preparation, um, the game management, everything, he's just that guy. He's the guy in the locker room you look to. DeAndre Ayton has praised him all season long. You can see them uh, when when he was out with the COVID protocol. They'd FaceTime him after every game. He's got the relationship with the coach from previous history with him 10, 12 years ago in his days in New Orleans. I think that he's the glue that holds this team together. Granted, you know, Phoenix had a good team ending the bubble last season on the 11 or 8 or 9 game win streak, whatever that was, and just falling short of a postseason berth. Uh, You put Chris Paul into the mix, and the Chris Paul effect is already well documented in the NBA, and it immediately catapults them to an NBA Finals favorite and potentially a a first-time NBA Finals winner. That's insane. The man knows the situation. He knows how to combat it. Again, today he had six turnovers, which is unlike him, but he's called a point god for a reason. He's been doing it for 16 years. And if if this were to end right now, you have to give the finals MVP to Chris Paul. You just have to. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you here just simply because he is just a machine offensively. I mean, defensively, he can maybe get a couple turnovers here and there to force them. But by and large, his damage is done offensively. And 
I kind of want to expand on this point a little bit as far as what I kind of see Chris as. Chris is that guy where, you know, essentially when it's getting to the end of the game, that's the guy that you want to feed the ball to. Don't get me wrong. Devin Booker was sensational in game two. It's just, to me, Chris Paul seems like their closer. Just because if you need a bucket to extend the lead from maybe like six points to eight points, Chris can space out the floor, basically say, everybody get out of the way. I got this. I'm going to beat my one-on-one matchup and knock down a 15 to 20 foot jumper. And he's done that time and time again throughout this playoff run for Phoenix. And granted, I know he had the six turnovers tonight in in game two, but in game one, I mean, the dude was unstoppable and he's so efficient from the field. I didn't even think that this was necessarily Chris Paul's best night in game two. And yet he still shot 50% from the field. Devin was really the show tonight, scored over 30 points, but still Chris Paul, you you always have to account for, for him simply because, man, especially when it comes to these clutch situations, that's the guy that you want to get it to. And he proved it when he was in Houston. He knocked down some huge shots for Houston when they were trying to compete for a finals appearance. And going into this year with Phoenix, the guy has just been lights out through the entire playoff stretch that they've had. And, you know, I was thinking about maybe possibly picking Devin Booker as their most impactful player, but I'd be lying if I said that it'd be Dev. Dev is phenomenal, don't get me wrong. But just the floor general abilities that Chris Paul is bringing at age 36 is just phenomenal. And not only that, the way that he facilitates the ball to DeAndre Ayton or to kick it out to the role players that they have, like in Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, Cameron Johnson. You can't beat that. It's just his value, as far as an NBA player goes, is just immeasurable. And I'm finally glad that he's getting the opportunity that he's getting, you know, 16 years in the league. He's almost two decades, for God's sakes. And he's getting his moment to shine, and he is taking full advantage of it. So I, I got to say that it's Chris Paul in this sense. Yeah, and just to, just to finalize that point, Devin Booker is his own player, right? You have your, your, your floor manager, you have your scorer, you have your anchor on defense, you have your enforcer. Every basketball team player has a role, right? So Devin Booker is a great star in his own sense. Devin is the offensive guy. When you need a bucket, give it to Devin. When you need a shot, give it to Devin. You need clutch free throws, give it to Devin. He's just that individual that when you need it, give him the basketball. But close game, game management, clock management, situational awareness. You need the veteran presence. You need the guy that's able to hold the ball, create his own shot, and get other people involved. That is why Chris Paul is so pivotal to any team he's ever been on. And granted, this is the farthest he's ever gone in his NBA career. But moments like these is where he thrives most. The the, the term point God doesn't come from just him having a lot of assists in his career or him being a point guard healthy or, you know, consistent for 16 seasons. No, the man has multiple games of, of double doubles with no turnovers. And, you know, he's done it throughout the entire playoffs with basically a banged up shoulder in the first two rounds where he had multiple games with no turnovers and 30 plus points. So this was a resurgent year for him. This was a revitalized year for him. And, 
I don't want people to take that away from the superstar that is emerging in Devin Booker. And I know that a lot of the media has been consistently quoting uh, the relationship that the late great Kobe Bryant had with Devin. And, you know, this, that's the saying of be legendary. And Devin hit some clutch shots tonight that it will be remembered in history as one of the better performances that, you know, a Phoenix Suns player has had in the playoffs aside from Charles Barkley and Steve Nash. But he will have his time to shine if Phoenix can keep this consistent. And, you know, if they do end up winning, um, it's going to be a matter of what they do the next season. And can Devin take it to the next step? Can Devin improve in his defensive uh, liabilities? Can Devin keep himself out of foul trouble? Can he not turn the ball over as much? Who knows? Every sport, every player has room for improvement. Nobody's perfect. But in this case, if you're saying that anybody on Phoenix is more important than Chris Paul, you obviously do not know the sport of basketball. If anything, the next most important player, or should I say lack of a player, should I say team member, is going to be Monty Williams. Getting this young group of guys together, keeping them level-headed, keeping them level-headed, being a player's coach. You can hear him in some of these timeouts. You can hear him in his, in his answers to the media in between quarters or in between timeouts. He has them focused. He knows what they need to do. He has them aware, and he has them prepared. So if I'm being honest, Monty Williams needs a lot more coverage because he is doing a phenomenal job in keeping this group of guys together. And without him, I don't know if they get here. You know, the crazy thing is, I remember Stephen A. Smith was talking about this when the Suns were going up against the Clippers. I remember Phoenix was up 3-1 in that series, and they lost Game 5 in Phoenix. And Stephen A. Smith was saying that Tyron Lue is the best basketball coach in the NBA. I mean, you want to talk about recency bias, you know, prisoner of the moment. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that. I mean, Monty Williams took a team that was mired in mediocrity a couple years ago and has gotten this team to a finals appearance, and they have a very good shot of winning it as well. I mean, the fact that he was almost able to get this team to a playoff berth last year in the bubble, they just fell a little bit short. And then to take the leaps and bounds that they have in this season alone is just unbelievable. And I don't want people to lose sight of that. It's absolutely incredible what he's been able to do in his short tenure in Phoenix. And I know he didn't win coach of the year. He was my pick to win coach of the year. Obviously they gave it to Tom Thibodeau in New York, but this guy is just solid as it comes. I mean, he is one of the best coaches that we have in the NBA currently. And I just like his demeanor. He's very laid back. You know, he's not like, he's not very gung-ho as some coaches in the past have been in the NBA. He's very methodical in his approach and he's very level-headed. You know, he doesn't get too fired up. He keeps a very straight face most of the time. And I think just that type of style works with this team. And I think this team definitely feeds off of what he brings to the table. It's just... I got to give a lot of respect to Monty Williams because throughout this season, and especially in this playoff run that Phoenix is going on, he has been phenomenal. I mean, the way that he set up that alley-oop pass to DeAndre Eaton with 0.8 seconds left in that Clippers series, you couldn't have drawn it up any better. And the players executed it to to perfection. So, you know, Monty is one of the best out right now. And... 
I'm not just saying that because they're in the finals. I'm saying that he has had a solid track record the last two seasons to the point where he was able to get this team from basically out of the basement in the Western Conference all the way to the two seed this year. And they're in their first finals appearance since, what, the freaking 90s with Charles Barkley? 93. So you got to give Monty his respect. You know, if nobody else is going to give it here, you know, I know Kevin and I definitely will. 100%, dude. Are you kidding me? And then James Jones for assembling this team that he has. Obviously, people doubting the ability of Cameron Payne. Uh, people questioning the draft pick of Cameron Johnson, Johnson as high as he was at a UNC. Um Obviously, the acquisition of Chris Paul, people said that, you know, maybe that was too much or, you know, like that contract was too big. And and James did what he needed to do and he made the right moves. And, you know, shout out to him. Obviously, you can't leave any player left unmentioned. And, you know, James Jones being a a role player, should I say a bench player for the majority of his career, he understands what it's like to be on a winning team. And he assembled a great uh, a great team. Like Kyle said, this team was on the bottom of the Western Conference for a very, very, very long time. And the hiring of Monty Williams was able to turn that around. Devin Booker becoming the superstar that he is uh, today was another big reason. And then, you know, Chris Paul and the drafting of DeAndre Ayton as well. So they have a good little squad over here. They have a good thing going. Hopefully they can capitalize and finish this off and, you know, win their first franchise's uh, NBA championship. That'd be great. But... You know, it is getting a little late on this end, and you know we have a little bit more that we would like to cover. But you know, we do we do have some other things we need to take care of. We got to edit some more stuff and make sure that we have stuff ready for you guys on Sunday as well. So, um, unless you have anything else, Kyle, that's it for me. No, I mean, I mean, we got a big UFC card coming up this weekend. Um, I'll devote some time to that. Um, either Friday or Saturday. So definitely kind of stay tuned out for that. Um, it's a big fight. You got Conor McGregor going up against Dustin Poirier. This is the third fight between them. Um, Dustin won the last fight. Conor won the first fight between them. So this is essentially the uh, the grudge match between them. So that'll definitely be fun to watch. And, you know, we, we got game three coming up on Sunday. And that's definitely going to be very fun to watch. And I know I mentioned it in one of our YouTube videos uh, yesterday. Um, but congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning for winning back-to-back Stanley Cups. Um, they are on the verge of possibly being a dynasty in the NHL. They have just a great roster from top to bottom. They've got great leadership in Steven Stamkos, Alice Kalorn, Victor Hedman, Braden Point. I'm probably missing a couple guys. Nikita Kucherov. Like, these guys are just studs. And, you know, it, it's definitely fun to see. I mean, granted, I do live in Tampa, so... It's just it's great to see the fact that the Lightning are just on a roll right now, and they could potentially be going for a three-peat next year, which would be just absolutely insane. You don't typically see that often in professional sports anymore, and but they actually have the roster to go out and make that happen. So I just wanted to give them a little bit of shine before we, we wrap this up tonight. You know, big kudos to them. Shout out to the Lightning. Um, it's hard to repeat in any sport, let alone – uh, the sport of hockey, as physically demanding and grueling as that sport is, and uh, you know, as competitive that sport can be, repeating as as champions is is pretty difficult. And the fact that they're going to have an opportunity to go for three, it's kind of crazy. I don't even remember the last time I've heard of an uh, an NHL team winning back to back championships. If I'm being honest, again, I'm not a big fan of hockey, so you know, you know, the funny thing is, like, 
Um, when I look back at, you know, the, the path that they've taken, you know, they definitely had some up and downs, you know, losing to the Blackhawks, I believe in 2015, that definitely hurt. Uh, losing to the first round to the Columbus Blue Jackets three years ago where they were the best team in hockey and they got swept in four games. You know, there was a lot of times where, you know, the fan base could have given up on this team. The organization could have moved on from the players that they had, but they hung in tough and they have just taken the NHL by storm the last couple of seasons. And I got to give them a lot of credit for that. They have been playing phenomenal. I mean, to win two championships in nine months is absolutely wild. You do not see that very often. And it, it really just kind of goes to show that Tampa is just, it is quite a sports town right now. You know, two titles oh in the last two years. You've got, you know, Brady uh, last year in Super Bowl 55. And then the, then the Rays, you know, they have been one of the better teams in the American League as of recently. So, you know, it's just, you know, Tampa's, Tampa's on a roll right now. I, I'm not going to go into the whole Tampa Bay thing. But, you know, it's quite phenomenal what they've been able to accomplish in a relatively short period of time. No, can't can't deny it. As as annoying as it is for me, because, you know, you obviously hear the bandwagoners coming out of nowhere. People that didn't follow hockey or football out of nowhere or cheered for the Bucks or the Rays uh, when they all sucked. But, you know, mm-hmm. magically we have all of these fans in the woodworks. Oh, my God, Tampa Bay, bro. We li- Man, if y'all don't shut up with that nonsense, I'm, I'm about to cancel everything. <laughs> I'm hey, about man, to turn off just, all my social media, I swear, because people are just ignorant. You just – hey, man, but they're succeeding. You got to give them credit for that. These teams are actually going out there and playing phenomenal in their respective leagues, in their respective sports. No, I'm not. I'm not taking away from the team's success. I'm talking about the, the fandom fans. that 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 follow. You know what I'm saying? You know, you have Braun fans, you have you have Curry fans, you have bandwagoners everywhere. But when you start to jump on this Tampa thing, the Rays are one of the most embarrassing franchises in MLB history for quite some time. They haven't been relevant in a little bit. The Tampa Bay Lightning, like Kyle said, they were falling short just a few years ago, and everyone was boycotting them when they lost in the first round. The Bucks have been garbage since 2003, and now magically Tampa's the city of champions. Tampa's the greatest city that we've had in all of sports in 20-plus years. Shut the hell up. Champa bit shut the f- – shut up. It's, it's not – I, I want to see where the hell all you guys go when Brady leaves and, you know, the, the, the lightning come back to reality and the, the rays go back to shit. So it's going to be fine. Everybody will wake up eventually, and we'll all go back to normal, and it'll be great. I saw a tweet today. Uh, somebody put on an Excel spreadsheet, and it was listing the the career of Brady. Not not just like his professional career. I'm talking about you know his time in Michigan to now, and it's just wild the the amount of success that those cities have had wherever he's gone. Like it's it's really undeniable at this point. I know these teams. They assemble these teams on their own. I'm not saying that the the success is directly tied to Brady. It's just, it's quite odd. Like it, there's like some level of sorcery going on here to just see like wherever Brady goes. It's just success happens to just follow in that town wherever he's at. It's just wild. Like it's just, it like I said, it's just sorcery, bro. Like I don't know how else to explain it. And he's a magician or something or a wizard or, you know, like who knows? Brady, Brady brings success. Good for y'all. I'm going to bed. 
guys. It was a great live stream. You know, we had a lot of people in here. We had up to six at one point. Um, I know it doesn't seem like a lot, but for Kyle and me, it's baby steps. It's all about getting us out there. Since we've changed to OBS, it has been quite the experience. You can see it in our numbers changing. You can see it in our subscribers growing. But at the end of the day, we wouldn't be here without you guys. So, you know, we want to take a quick shout out, a quick second to say thank you and give you guys a shout out for being here. We know it's late. So to everybody that stood here the entire night, we really appreciate it. And we just wanted to say thank you. And we can't wait to bring some more content on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, if you guys like the live stream, you know, like the live stream below. Um, if you guys want to support the channel in any way, shape or form, you know, hit the subscribe button below. You know, Kevin and I know this, you know, any sort of support that we can give for the channel, you know, we definitely appreciate it. Oh, by the way, Kev, nice uh, pick on the shirts. I mean, pretty much matching with the, the Nike t-shirts. I know yours is a different shade of blue, but rocking the blue shades of uh, Nike shirts. I had to kind I'm, of I'm not, not going to cap. I didn't even realize that's how tired I am. So I'm actually in shock. But, you know, we actually planned this, guys. I'm just kidding. No, I'm playing. We ain't playing nothing. <laughs> this is a complete accident. But, yeah, that's pretty lit, actually. Yeah, but, you know, with that said, you guys, just once again, you know, I, I know I, I always say it, so does Kevin. Just we appreciate the support. Um, It's going to be fun, you know, the, the next week or so because, you know, the, the NBA Finals will be going on. We'll definitely be kind of recapping UFC 264, I believe that's the number, for um, the card this weekend. And then we'll end up seeing you guys later next week welcome to ringside with ray and prince my name is ray leonard jr oh, that's no, that's just my, dad. my name is prince daniels jr daniels again with a big touchdown. on this show we come to humanize athletes entertainers business executives we're going to see what makes them tick tuesdays 10 a.m pacific time on spotify apple amazon and wherever you get your podcast we'll see you there peace and power Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast Podcasts and... Hear the culture. Electric acid.